You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. leaked database has been delivered into the hands of skids. CISA and the FBI warn that APTs are scanning for vulnerable Fortinet instances. Crypto jackers pan for altcoin in GitHub's infrastructure. Holiday Bear may have looked for network defenders. Threats to water utilities. Johannes Ulrich explains why dynamic data exchange is back. Our guest is Mark Lance from GuidePoint Security, tracking parallels between the SolarWinds attack and the RSA hack a decade ago. And a cyber attack snarls vehicle emission testing. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 5th, 2021. Citing a Business Insider report, the Washington Post writes that 533 million Facebook users' personal information was dumped over the weekend to a hacking forum. The data is old and the leak isn't new. Facebook detected and fixed it in October 2019. But the concern is that the information is now in the hands of criminal skids who will be able to make a greater nuisance of themselves than usual. So it's not a new breach, but the dissemination is now far wider and can be expected to appear in low-grade scams. What kind of scams and mischief? The record lists the usual dreary mob— email or SMS spam, robocalls, extortion attempts, threats, harassment, and more. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's CISA, and the FBI warned Friday that advanced persistent threat actors are scanning devices on multiple ports looking to take advantage of multiple CVEs and that it's likely the APT actors are scanning for these vulnerabilities to gain access to multiple government, commercial, and technology services networks. All three vulnerabilities affect Fortinet's Fort OS. Patches are available for all three vulnerabilities listed. The unnamed APT actors are scanning for unpatched systems that remain susceptible to exploitation. The advisory says it's possible that this activity represents staging for future data exfiltration or data encryption attempts. The FBI and CISA list the sorts of activity this kind of staging has historically been used to prepare. Distributed denial-of-service attacks, ransomware attacks, structured query language injection attacks, spear phishing campaigns, website defacements, and disinformation campaigns— The advisory adds, APT actors may use other CVEs or common exploitation techniques, such as spear phishing, to gain access to critical infrastructure networks to pre-position for follow-on attacks. 
In addition to the obvious protective measures like patching and adding key artifact files used by Fort OS to your organization's execution deny list, the advisory is particularly concerned to recommend email security measures, such as consider adding an email banner to emails perceived from outside your organization, disable hyperlinks in received emails, and of course, focus on awareness and training. The phrase APT actor, as used in these advisories, commonly refers to a state-directed threat group. Betting on form, the record points out that Iranian and Chinese threat actors, Muddy Water and APT5 specifically, have a record of pursuing Fortinet bugs. GitHub is dealing with the discovery of a cryptojacking campaign that was mining coin in the repository's own servers. According to the record, the crooks have been abusing GitHub Actions since this past fall. Actions is a feature in GitHub that allows automatic execution of tasks when a particular event takes place inside a GitHub repository. The attack works by, quote, forking a legitimate repository, adding malicious GitHub Actions to the original code, and then filing a pull request with the original repository in order to merge the code back into the original, end quote. The original project owner doesn't need to approve the ill-intentioned pull request, so all the crypto jacker needs to do is file the request. The good news for users is that the attacks don't appear to be affecting their projects at all. It's an attack on GitHub's infrastructure. CNN reported Friday that the holiday bear attackers who exploited SolarWinds last year paid particular attention once their operation had begun— to the U.S. government security personnel charged with hunting down threats in federal networks. This suggests to some that the compromise may have been more than just overlooked and that the Russian operators may have been able to actively evade or impede U.S. efforts at detection and mediation. And that, observers speculate, is the significant news behind the compromise of U.S. Department of Homeland Security emails. The U.S. federal indictment of Wyatt Travnicek on charges of illicitly accessing the Ellsworth County, Kansas, Rural Water District's computer system on March 27, 2019, has again raised concerns about the security of water utilities. Mr. Travnicek is alleged, Decipher explains, to have shut down the processes behind the facility's cleaning and disinfecting procedures. The accused hacker worked for the utility in 2018 and 2019, where part of his job was remotely logging into the facility's computer system to monitor the plant after hours. Water utilities have tight budgets and relatively small staffs. Note that it was a staffer and actual human being who noticed and stopped the attempt earlier this year to manipulate sodium hydroxide levels in the Oldsmar, Florida water system, That combination tends to drive economies that save on expensive labor, and these often involve indifferently secured remote access to control systems. Wired says water systems are vulnerable and not getting any more secure, and their article deplores the tendency to look at electrical power as the only distribution system that presents serious cyber risks. That may be an overstatement, and the power grid certainly has problems of its own, so whatever additional security the attention may have brought haven't been anything like a panacea. And finally, if you've been having trouble getting your car checked for compliance with emission standards, the fault may not be in the DMV, but in its software. 
A cyber attack against vehicle emissions testing provider Aplus Technologies, Bleeping Computer reports, has disrupted emissions testing in eight U.S. states. The problem is expected to continue through tomorrow, at least, and probably longer. Aplus says it's working with law enforcement, but that it's too early to say more about the nature of the attack or whether personal data was exposed to compromise. Bleeping Computer speculates that the incident was a ransomware attack, but that it's a circumstantial judgment at this point. And if you're worried about being ticketed by the police for having an expired emissions test, Aplus says it's reached out to police in the affected states to let them know it's not your fault your vehicle missed its inspection. Hey, officer, the software ate my carbon monoxide. Honest. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. The SolarWinds attack has put a spotlight on third-party security risks, and one element people are pointing out is that third-party risks are nothing new. Mark Lance is former head of incident response at RSA and now senior director of cyber defense at GuidePoint Security. He sees a strong similarity between the SolarWinds attack and the RSA hack from 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, we see targeted attacks and have seen targeted attacks historically at at a large scale and and with advanced threat actors. 
going on for, you know, obviously an extended period of time going all the way back to the RSA uh, breach and, and prior. And so, you know, very specifically with what uh, occurred with SolarWinds, which was a, you know, supply chain attack, you know, this isn't, is, is, isn't necessarily the first time we've seen something like this. And so when you start taking into account trying to access um, somebody who is, you know, part of the supply chain or a vendor or somebody else, um, as opposed to targeting a an environment directly, again, it's, you know, it's something we've seen historically and, and was reminiscent of, of, you know, the RSA attack where, you know, RSA being breached and, and getting access um, to the data there was not necessarily specifically for the end result of trying to access RSA, but subsequently to, you know, attack other environments. And so, again, it's, it's you know, reminiscent from the sense that, you know, there is initial motivation to get into that specific environment, but predominantly for subsequent access into, you know, a larger target or, or more targets. Is it fair for folks to to express some some frustration that you know ten years out or so from the RSA hack that here we are again? Um, I I think that uh, you know this is something that is going to continue to happen. Uh, I mean, I think when you've got motivated attackers who are really have an objective they're trying to accomplish, they're going to find one way to do it or another. So if it wasn't you know RSA or if it wasn't Solar Winds. They're going to find some other, you know, potential access point within the supply chain or, you know, whether it's through a subsidiary or whether through a partner or vendor relationship, they're going to find a way in. So I would say that, you know, there you know, can certainly be frustration in some of the qualities associated with the way that things are being secured. But I think overall, um, these attackers are cre very creative. Um, especially when you're talking about, you know, your, you know, nation state sponsored actors that, you know, again, when they've got an objective, they're going to find one way or another to get in. And it just, you know, happened to be that they were the ones that were impacted. And you would like to think that, you know, there are, are additional, you know, controls being put in place and, and things to prevent similar things from happening in the future. That's Mark Lance from GuidePoint Security. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, great to have you back. Um, I want to touch base with you about uh, some stuff that I know has caught your eye. This is, has to do with the uh, dynamic data exchange, uh, sort of a, a legacy thing that's back. Um, explain to us what's going on here. Yeah, it's really one of those things where, as a security professional, you're often distracted by the shiny new thing. Uh, but, you know, big reminder here, uh, old stuff often still works. And, of course, these days, whenever I sort of talk to people about what they recently got hit by, how they got infected uh, with uh, uh, ransomware or whatever, uh, one of the big themes that comes often through is, hey, a user clicked on an email attachment. Uh, now, okay, um, we have a lot of anti-malware and filters set up uh, that will specifically look for macros in Office documents. 
However, there's an older technology, dynamic data exchange. It sort of predates uh, macros back in the day when I was still young and uh, full of energy in this business. Uh, <laughs> I sort of saw a bunch of these coming in. And it was great back then because it uh, ran itself without user interaction. And attackers loved it. But um, then, of course, Microsoft clamped down on it. It sort of now works like macros. You have to give it permission. So attackers figured, hey, I have to go through the trouble of asking the user for permission. I may as well use these more modern macros, which uh, allow for a lot more fancy exploits and such than the old DDD allowed. But then again, you know, um, anti-malware apparently no longer really looks for all these old signatures. And that's sort of you know standard housekeeping that these products do. Uh, they mm. haven't seen a particular signature trigger in a while. So uh, to reduce some of the bloat in these products, uh, they remove some of these old ones. But the attackers often go back uh, five years, 10 years, and try some of these old tricks again. Yeah, I mean, that's really the mixed blessing of... of of uh, Microsoft uh, supporting you know these old legacy things and uh, I mean I suppose on the one hand it's good that if you need it it's there but uh, like like you often say out of sight out of mind it can uh, it can slip in past the detection right correct and we see this with other things too like you know, that famous velvet sweatshop password that Microsoft introduced way back in the day when they sort of had some very simple uh, locked uh, office document well attackers still use it uh, because it still works to slip past uh, some of these anti-malware tools and in the end they just play the numbers game and hope that one of you users will click yeah all right well good advice as always johannes ulrich thanks for joining us thank you That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The more you look, the more you like. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha. Huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed and check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. 